Welcome to the show. I'm hosting today Bradley Jacobs, our founder of MyLance, and I'm here today with Aaron Berger. Aaron, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Let's just jump right in. Would love to have you give our audience a just super quick introduction of who you are and where you're at today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so as you mentioned, name is Aaron Berger. Uh, I'm the founder of ASB Strategies. Uh, it's really a boutique communications agency. Um, we started back in 2019, before the pandemic, and uh, have really worked across the spectrum um, of different types of companies, from VC-backed all the way up to Fortune 500 companies. Um, we help do some consulting for agencies, um, and really across the board, whatever's needed from narrative to media relations to uh, crisis communications. We are we are happy to work with a variety of different clients on. Awesome. And you say we is it? it it's just been you, right? I know it's a royal we, but it's a royal we. Yes, it is. It is just me. I should specify that. Um, I I can go into it, but uh, do often work with freelancers, and then of course with um, certain partners that I, I've worked with as well. But ultimately, the organization, if you want to call it, is is just me. Awesome. And give us a sense of what just any kind of numbers you're willing to share around what year one was like. And I know you're going to your fifth year now. So what does the trajectory look like for four years that you've been doing it? So the, the growth has been strong. Uh, we have doubled every year. Um, the first year when I started this, and, and I can kind of go into a little bit more of the journey, um, I was actually uh, kind of freelancer and W2 employee, as well as having my own business. So kind of had both types of revenue um, that evolved. And now, of course, it's all just revenue that's coming into the business at that point, at this point. Um, and over the last few years, again, it has doubled every single year. Um, and, you know, we're looking at the mid six figures at this point, mid six figures. So your first year from a the consulting business specifically, mm -hmm. what did that look like? In the in year one, uh, year one. So, are, you, are and just to clarify, are you talking revenue numbers, or are you just talking in general what what that looked like? Just to give the audience an idea of yeah, revenue numbers. If you're whatever you're willing to share, it can be general. Yeah, um, I, I'd have to remember exactly, but the it's first okay. year was um, you know in that seventy to eighty thousand dollar range okay. in all likelihood, and then each year we have doubled. Although I will say last year. Um, was the first year where we did not double, but over time, especially as a freelancer, uh, those numbers are going to be harder and harder to continue to grow. And uh, honestly, that's where I'm at right now is figuring out how to find similar growth. Um, because at a certain point, you just do not have the same kind of bandwidth uh, that you did when you were starting out and having to make some decisions about how do you keep growing um, as expenses start to pile up, as you get new requests, as demands start to grow, um, it becomes harder and harder. It's just you only have so much time during the day and there's only so many things that you can do. Um, so to continue to grow, it, it eventually um, ends up kind of flattening a bit more. Um, but yeah, the, the first three or four years, it was definitely rapid growth and it was pretty, it was both a confirmation of what I thought was going to happen, a little bit scary, but also definitely validation. And, and it was a nice sort of, okay, this is really going to work type of um, affirmation. And let's, let's talk about that fear for a second, because mm -hmm. that is so common. Everyone has it. There's so many people that want to go out on their own. 
that are scared and they might not even be consciously scared, but they're, they're scared in some fashion and it holds them back. What was that like? And how did you actually tangibly get over that to actually do this? It's a great question. And, uh, I think ultimately what it came down to was real conviction at the Mm. end of the day. Uh, I had, had a feeling for a long time that the communications industry was shifting and that things were becoming more distributed. Um, things were not as things had consolidated, but with the internet and technology, the opportunity for small organizations or even individuals was out there in a way that it really wasn't in the past. Um, at that point in my life, I had been, I was working at IBM um, and I really kind of just looked at where I was and felt like, you know, I've always kind of wanted to try this. I've always wanted to see what would happen if I took this leap. And um, ultimately, I kind of just had to say, I'm going to see what's going to happen. And, you know, I can always go back to a larger organization Um, that is always going to be out there. There's always going to be opportunities at um, businesses or agencies or other areas. But you know, if I look back 20 years from that moment in 2019, and I didn't at least try it, um, I'm going to regret not taking that chance. So, um, you know, I also didn't have, I was just engaged, I didn't have any children. So kind of the the opportunity to take some risks was definitely there. Um, you know, now I have a a toddler, would I be as willing to just take a leap of faith? I'm not sure I would. Um, but at the same time, you know, I would say to anybody who is kind of curious or is that kind of inclination that maybe I want to try being a freelancer or try entrepreneurship um, to give it a chance because, you know, there are other opportunities down there. And if you're at the point of your career where you've built the network and you have good people and you can trust yourself, then uh, there's not a whole lot of downside, I think. And let's call out something specifically that you did, maybe intentionally or maybe not, but you went through the worst case scenario in your head. Yes. Right? I would say I, would say I did. I, I, I would say, look, worst case scenario is I leave I have six months, let's say, and nothing happens. And then we're looking at the middle of the year. Um, and, you know, I have to go out and look for another job. But at least I say I tried it out. And, um, you know, I I was I saved some money up before taking that leap. I kind of had had all the things that I needed to in place. So I knew I would be okay for a certain amount of time. Um, but was ready to, you know, I was ready to fail, I guess you could say, if it wasn't a success. And, um, fortunately it has not been a failure. Um, but that was definitely something I was ready for and was okay with, um, before I took that leap. One thing I did was I polished up my resume and I actually applied to jobs before I quit just to see, just to really test out that worst case scenario. I saw my value in the market and I was like, okay, I could fail just like you, just like you said. And if I do, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. And I, I think to that point, you know, being okay. And I know it's, it's can be a cliche sometimes to say, you know, you have to fail to succeed and all those other kind of things that people have, have talked about. But I think it, it wasn't really 
I don't know if that was what it was, but it was definitely, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with trying and uh, knowing that you would be, you did have options, even if this path didn't work out was definitely a big, a big portion of it. And as you said, if you look back 20 years and you have that regret of never having tried this, that's much more of a hard pill to swallow than I went out there, I tried it for six months, it didn't work out. And now I'm frankly back where I started, right? I'm nowhere, no worse. In fact, I'm better because I tried something. and And, And we can go into this a little bit more. But one of the things I also find kind of interesting is even as the journey has continued, there are times when I think, maybe it would be nice to go back into an organization mm. or maybe we could do something, you know, kind of be a part of some other company or some other agency or some other area. And um, that kind of push and pull doesn't really ever stop. And that was something that I've I found very interesting in this journey is that even as the business has been growing, there sometimes is still a pull Um and always a thought of, well, what would it be like to do something else or to go back into an organization? And that has been um, something that that has been a surprise as I've gone through this journey over the past five years is, is that that sort of feeling of what what is the other side look like doesn't and maybe it does for some people. But for me, it's never, never completely gone away, um, which has been interesting. So let's shift gears a little bit. You decide to make the leap and mm-hmm. How do you get those first, let's just say two or three clients? Where do those come from? It was honestly a, a bit shocking. <laughs> um, I just posted on LinkedIn that I had decided to leave and um, it sort of opened up and was looking for opportunities. And I had my network reach out to me within an hour saying, let's get together, let's yeah. get lunch, let's chat about opportunities. I kind of thought I would have a month or two to kind of get set up um, and figure out, okay, what is my real strategy here? But it was immediate in the first few opportunities that I had. Um, And, you know, I think that that would be the other piece of advice is, you know, I think people intrinsically know what their network looks like and who their contacts are. And I think some of this, yes, I was ready for failure, but also felt like I had enough of a network where I would be okay. Um, And that was, again, very much validated um, with that initial reaction uh, when I went out on my own. So, um, you know, my first projects and opportunities were kind of in the door within two weeks. And I, I said to people, you know, I didn't even have a website yet when this thing started. And it was six months after I technically launched that I got any sort of a website up and running. So it was just purely referral. And, um, you know, that that was sort of the the beginning of the journey right there. And it it's never really stopped since which has been, I mean, it's changed, but it hasn't hasn't stopped since, you know, that initial posting on social media. To what extent did you know what your offer was going to be? When you ventured into this world? Right before you found those first few clients, like, did you know, but if you can put yourself back in 2019, did you know what you were going to be offering? I I did. Um, I I had a good sense. I mean, what I was doing back when I was at IBM and and kind of what I had come in to do was working across different business units to figure out where their stories were and to tell those stories externally. And it was 
each day was different. It was different types of business units. It was pretty, it was AI, it was blockchain, it was quantum computing, all very deep tech, but not all that tangentially related uh, other than the technology aspect. And um, I kind of got the idea and felt as though I could do that for clients and companies elsewhere and build narratives and build communications practices and build really policies and consult for them that then would help them find those stories and then really take those stories to the marketplace and talk to the media connections that I had made over the past decade um, in this arena and kind of connect those dots in a way that I had been doing previously. Um, and so being able to do that and, and having that experience, I very much knew kind of how I was going to sell myself once I got into the room with potential prospects. Having that meant I didn't necessarily need all of the websites and everything else, but really knowing what that initial offer was going to be once I got into the room or jumped on Zoom calls made an enormous difference in then kind of converting those conversations into actual business. How have the projects changed or stayed the same over the years, right? You get those first few projects, you post mm -hmm. on LinkedIn, your network reaches mm -hmm. out to you and they're like, hey, we mm -hmm. can really use your help. It's yeah. easy. Yeah. Uh, how have the projects changed? Uh, so it's a, great, it's a great question. And I, so I started pre-COVID. And I started in 2019 and I was, it was all in person, right? It was, you know, Zoom calls hard to believe, but they really were not even a thing. Um, and it's hard to believe now, but that's what the, the environment was like in 2019. The projects, I think, and, and that doesn't really answer your question, but I would say the general kind of fundamentals have not shifted in what I've been doing. I think what has happened is the refinement in who I'm doing those projects for mm. has shifted quite a bit. Um, I think one of the things that was really different is at the beginning, I was taking any business that would come in. It was just sort of, okay, I can do this for any industry, any client, anybody who wants to use this expertise, let's do it. And what happened, especially over the pandemic, was I had to pick and choose the industries that I wanted to focus around. Um, you know, kind of mentioning the IBM inspiration for this, I was doing work with their health unit. I was also doing work with blockchain, massively different. So when I started this, I was doing work in the health tech arena. I was also doing work in the fintech arena um, to really complicated businesses. And eventually you have to choose and you have to say, okay, I can't, again, I'm one person. I can't focus on both of these. They're too complicated. I will not be able to dedicate myself to the clients in a way that they need me to. Um, so it's sort of shifted into figuring out the industry that I did want to focus on. Um, and that was really one, something that occurred, I would say, over the pandemic. Um, I was sort of looking at the different arenas and again, the different avenues that I had in front of me heading into kind of the end of the year. Um, and over the pandemic kind of focused less on the health world and much more on the fintech and payments world, which I have a lot of background in as well. Um, and then kind of the AI and the DevOps world. And, and again, 
some of this is luck. Some of it happens that that's sort of where things were going. Um, you know, but ultimately the offering has shifted into one that is much more refined into the industries that I am focused on versus it being more generalist. Um, the other thing I would say is one of the things that I do is I, I do do a lot of consulting for, for agencies as well. And, um, that has shifted a little bit from execution into more real of the consulting world. So it's, it's less execution. Um, I have started to work with other freelancers who help on the execution side, and it's more really working with decision makers on the best ways to go about, whether it's bringing in business or, you know, helping to, um, uh, you know, deliver for business, especially when it comes to the areas of expertise that I have decided to focus on. That's sort of shifted a little bit. Um, and then I think the, the the third thing I would say, and I think this is more of a market shift, is some of the requests I've gotten have been very different. I would say we were in a growth marketplace for a couple years, and that has shifted much more into product market fit. And the communication strategies have shifted along with it as sort of the the focus of of what some of these startups want to do has has changed um, just given the the general market um, kind of conditions shifting over the last year. All right, so we'll talk about the market, and I also yeah. want to talk about the agency piece. But before we go there, mm-hmm. your first few clients came in from this LinkedIn post, right? Yeah. Yeah. When you talk about the fintech, the you know healthcare, mm-hmm. the AI, DevOps, mm-hmm. were these just continual inbounds just from your network? Like you weren't doing any business development for the years. It was just like rolling in randomly. It was all yeah. It was. <laughs> I don't really know how that's happened. It's all been referral. Uh, it's just been consistent referrals, and I I have always been a little surprised by that. Um, I'm not sure why that's the case. Sometimes I've thought, oh, I should do more advertising or I, I mean, should do more promotion. But at the same time, um, I I don't really need more business. And I, I kind of like the client base that I have. So I haven't had a whole big need to do it. And it's just been, you know, it's been consistent referrals, honestly. And, you know, you, I, I really believe if you are honest and transparent and look, not every client is going to work out. I think that was something I had to learn about too, was there just, there's going to be things that don't work out. That's just the nature of being a freelancer. But, you know, if overall you are principled and ethical and honest and transparent with the clients and the work you do is, good and what you say it's going to be, then you get more referrals. So it sort of just slowly snowballs. And um, again, I'm not sure why that's the case, but it's very much, uh, it's very much been my experience over the last four or five years. Did you continue to post on LinkedIn at any kind of regular cadence? No. Was it that one post and that was it. it and was you've never posted post. again. I've never posted again. <laughs> I really post on LinkedIn. Uh, it's, it's, it's a little strange because I tell my clients to post on LinkedIn and do all of the social media stuff. And then I'm, I'm behind the scenes, not doing any of it. So, um, 
I don't know what that means. Uh, you know, do as I say, not as I do, I guess. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I, I think that there is also, and maybe this is it, I, I've, I've always believed there's some value uh, in staying a little bit, I don't know, secretive is the wrong word, but um, being behind the scenes, especially in this business. Um, you know, my job at the end of the day is to promote my clients, not myself. And if I can do that, I think that makes me a better communications practitioner at the end of the day. So ultimately, you know, if they are referring me, I think there's a lot more value in that than me going out there and, and talking about myself, because ultimately my job is to promote my clients, not myself. So it sounds like you focus on delivering an incredible experience for your clients. And naturally, when they have a really good experience with you, they send you to the people that they know, and then you have a steady stream of clients coming in. Is that fair to that's, say? That's about what's been going on. Yeah, that is, that's, that's been the last five years. And, um, you know, I, I think it, it's not just it's not just clients. It's also just general, you know, anyone you work with or encounter. Um, I try to treat everybody the same way, no matter if they're, you know, at a giant company or they're a seed stage CEO. Um, ultimately, they are looking for a similar experience and they need similar things. And, you know, the the media landscape's difficult enough to navigate. And um, there's a lot of people who think they have a magic bullet for it. And honestly, there isn't one. Um, and if you can be honest and again, transparent and try things and not everything's going to work, you know, not everything, again, it's not always going to work out between you and the client um, or it's not always going to work out, whatever your strategy may be. But I think if you can be transparent or honest, it goes a very, very long way um, in this industry. And where are you meeting these people? You talked about no matter who you meet, you treat them the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, again, it's been weird because it's been the COVID era was all referrals and then meeting on Zoom and then having a conversation and, and moving on. Um, I would say in the last year, uh, you know, it's been, again, I, I, I guess the one thing I will say is I will put certain strategic bets down on specific regions based off of where I'm seeing growth. And then I'll have certain people in those regions who may introduce me to new clients or new prospects. Um, and then again, jump on a call or try to meet them in person. And, you know, if there's an overlap and then you decide if there's some time you want to work together or not based off of how that interaction goes. Um, and again, I try to be as upfront and transparent as possible about, what communications is and what I can promise and what I can't promise. Again, I, I, I believe that goes a long way, both with founders and with employees at, at larger companies as well. But it sounds like you're asking your people, you know, for mm -hmm. introductions. I, I don't know if I actually, I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily asking them for introductions. I, I would say those introductions come through them if somebody asks them for someone they know. So again, it's, it's, all referral based at the end of the day. And then I, I'm happy to talk to whoever, whether it's going to be some new piece of new business, or even it's just a consultation if they need somebody like me. Um, that is something I always try to make the time for no matter what. And it doesn't really, and again, not every single thing is going to work out. But just being able to have a conversation with somebody and treating them as though, you know, 
they're like anybody else, I think is, is the biggest portion of this, even if it's 30 minutes, you know, yeah. and sometimes I have had conversations with people and it's like, look, you don't need a, a PR person yet. You're not at that stage. And they appreciate that. And then if they do need a PR person, they'll remember you. Uh, and so it's, it's sort of, you know, paying it forward a little bit at the end of the day. If I wanted to build up a 500k a year consulting business myself right now, and mm -hmm. I said I wanted a sustainable, repeatable business development system, right, that just mm -hmm. delivered clients when I needed it and mm -hmm. kept a busy full pipeline, what would you tell me to do? Oh, man, that is a good, good question. Uh, at, at this exact moment. Um, well, I guess like the first thing I would say is figure out what your offering is so that when you know, when you are on a, a phone call with somebody, you very, very quickly can explain to them what you can and can't do. I think over promising is the biggest way that you can harm your business as a freelancer at the end of the day. And I think that is the number one thing. So just have the offering very much set out um, before you jump on a call. Second is reach out to your current network. Um, you know, reach out to them, give them the heads up before you even go out there by yourself that you're thinking about doing this, get a sense of, is there demand for what you're thinking about before you take that leap? And then third, once you do it, you know, use social for that. And you should know within one or two weeks what this really looks like. Um, and, you know, I would say if you're getting inbounds, do take every single inbound that you get to yeah. start and then refine from there. And once you take all of them, again, if you're, if you're delivering the same product, it won't matter how different those clients are, but then you can start refining it. And as you refine it, you can find efficiencies and then grow into a bigger business. But, um, you know, you're not going to do it immediately. And uh, it's going to take some time before you really figure out what that offering that drives the efficiencies are going to be. Because you can't you can't have a five hundred thousand dollar business without finding some efficiencies across industries. But by building the reputation first, finding the efficiencies afterwards, and then getting the referrals from that, eventually, I think you can get anyone can get there. Give us a sense of what we talk about mid six figures is where you are now. Yeah. Give us a sense of how many clients at one time are they all monthly retainers? Are they projects? Like what does that look like? Um it's a mix uh and it's changed <laughs> and uh it started as hourly honestly um it was just again whatever you need hours is fine and started there to kind of get my foot in the door and get the referrals going um it then shifted to almost exclusively retainer um and that was just straight retainer now, where it is, is it's retainer, but I then bill hourly against that retainer to ensure that people don't over, mm. like, so I don't over service. And then the second part is, you know, especially with where, and we can get into it, but, you know, it was not the easiest year in the world for a lot of VC-backed companies last year. So if I had a strong relationship with certain startups, I would then switch to hourly for them as needed. And that was longer-term relationships I had where the relationship was strong enough that maybe they were going through some sort of 
pivot or shift or needed to change their strategy. And it allowed us to continue the relationship without putting a hold on it. But then, you know, as they were going through what they needed to, um, then shifting back into retainer eventually. So there was sort of this, you know, let's work together. So as I've grown, I've been able to be a little bit more flexible with that model, but it went from hourly to retainer. And now it's sort of a mix and and I can do more things with with how this all works together. And how many clients do you have at any given time? Uh, I would say I try to keep it between six to eight. I try not to go over that. Once you hit eight, it starts to get pretty difficult to manage all of them. I think the sweet spot is six. And once you go below six, it starts to, you start to get a little worried. So um, that's, that's where I try to keep things. And you get worried because why? Just tell tell our audience. I get I get worried because um, once you get below that, if one leaves, then you're starting to look at a pretty right. tough situation. It's right. nothing other than just percentage for the percentage of revenue per client. It, it's it comes down to that. And I also try not to have one client be the majority of my revenue either because there's too much that's outside of your control. And, um, you know, I, I can go into it, but, you know, experienced that a little bit last year uh, with some of the the downturn in the VC market. But, you know, I would say last year was the first year I really did experience sort of a, well, there are a lot of things that you can't control. Um, that's nothing that you can do and not even sometimes the founder's fault, but, you know, that leads to a client leaving and, then if you don't have some sort of a backstop, it can be a lot more detrimental at the end of the day. Let's talk about the market because it's no secret. We don't need to go over what's happened. We all know what's happened. It's been hard. Companies laid off and okay. You know, laying off tons of employees going bankrupt, a lot of mergers. Okay. Yep. Yes. Right. (laughs) Those have happened. Absolutely. And and it's been a harder, more difficult market for any fractional right? Anyone out there on their own. So honestly, employees as well. So the question is, how, what have you changed to navigate the challenging market dynamics last year? And then, you know, going to this year, I I think the biggest thing that we already mentioned it, the biggest thing was changing the the payment structure at the end of the day. I, I, in 2021, towards the end, and even in the first half of 2020, we're in 2024 now, the first half of 2022, you know, it was retainer. And if they weren't willing to pay the retainer, then there was enough other business out there. Um, Shifting to a more flexible payment structure, working directly with them to understand what was going on, I believe has helped tremendously weather that storm. And um, then the other thing is, you know, sometimes you do have to especially with startups, particularly less so the larger clients, but definitely startups um, just sometimes say, look, we'll take a break for three months and then we'll revisit this and um, being prepared for that. So it's not stuff that is all that enjoyable, but again, I think you just can't take it personally. Like none of this was personal this year, last year, and none of it was, anything that really 
they didn't want to do it. I didn't want it to happen. And we can, you can almost always figure out a way to make it work if you're willing to be flexible. And um, that's a very soft answer. But I think that whatever your business is, or whatever your freelance, you know, whatever's happening with your freelance business, if you can be flexible with it, you can weather downturns. And then eventually, I think the other thing is just having patience, because it will turn around eventually. I don't, I, it, it, it seems a little bit better this year. We'll see how it goes over the next six months, but um, hopefully no banks are collapsing in March. But, um, you know, the the overall marketplace does seem to be turning around. And I think that that is is a, a big part of it is patience. The other thing is, you know, look, my, my business is communications at the end of the day. And I think I mentioned already that, Fundamentally, some of it was adjusting, you know, moving from a growth mentality to focusing on product and product communications and growth communications are really, really different. I mean, they might sound the same, but they are very different. So understanding where your client's business is and what they are trying to focus on, um, I think also helps immensely. And that, that comes down to the flexibility aspect too. I'm seeing this thread throughout how you approach your business and i want to call it out for you see what your thoughts are around brutal honesty with honestly anyone you meet right mm -hmm. whether if they're just not ready for you as a fractional you're going to tell mm -hmm. them that and then they, they respect you and if a client needs to go down from retainer to hourly that mm -hmm. you can honor that or they need to take a break that you're just doing mm -hmm. you're you're it seems like you keep the client's best interest in mind at all times and that even short term can be turning down a client or saying no or telling them they're not ready or cutting your own billings, right? But it, but it serves you in the long run. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true, and and it's something I actually try to I, I've tried to do since the beginning. Now that you're bringing it up, I mean, one of the things that I I did or or try to do is at the be basically twice a year look at all of my clients and sort of say. This one's working. This one's not working. This one's taking up more of the headspace than it needs to be. And sometimes that means letting a client go, even if it's, you know, a hit to the bottom line. But over the long run, I think that, and if I could give any sort of piece of advice, it is sort of trusting your gut. Every time I've trusted my gut, it's, it's, it may be, and again, this is not, this is in no way, you know, mathematical advice or there's no like rhyme or reason to this but every time i've sort of trusted my gut and had a bad feeling about something when i've done it it turns out i should have trusted my gut in the beginning and then when i've trusted my gut and said okay this is this isn't really working out maybe it's time to move on and find something new you know it's it served me well so even if it's a small hit over the short term i think you know assessing the business at points and then even if there's a short term pain, I think it does, it does eventually lead to long-term gain yeah. at, at the end of the day. I love it. Yeah. If you, if I were one year into my fractional business and I was mm -hmm. where you were, I, you know, I did maybe 80 K in my first year. So I definitely have some clients and some experience, but I'm really looking to take it to that next level. I want to get it to 200, 300, 400, 500 yeah. K. Yeah. What would you, what, what advice would you give me knowing what you know now? Uh, after the first year, if you're at 80K, I think you can start to think about where do you want to 
focus the where where is your expertise and how do you focus that it's refinement at that point i mean again you're not you're not bringing in the six figures at that point but the only way you're going to get to that 300 400 500 type of level is refining the offering to focus on the expertise because once you get to that you can find efficiencies um and once you find efficiencies you know you're doing work for clients that you know if you have four clients in the same industry you're talking to one person for those four clients let's say and that is a very different type of business than talking to four clients and having to go and find you know and again this is the communications world but i'm sure it's similar in other ones and if you can refine that in a way um to help build those efficiencies and build those structures that then bring those efficiencies um that is going to be how you kind of get to the next level, whatever that might be or whatever that might look like. And I don't know what that is per, for every single freelancer. Uh, for me, it was focusing on very specific industries and then knowing what to look for in those industries that would allow me to um, be successful. I mean, for a long time in, in 2021 and 2022, that expertise was around funding rounds, right? Mm. And there were a ton of funding rounds that were going out there and you could start to operationalize those funding rounds you knew that there was a way to make those announcements and those announcements were very specific and that became a big portion of the business particularly in 2021 and you know you could do one or two announcements a week let's say and that sort of suddenly figuring out how to almost create a product um at that point uh was a huge kind of boon for that year that's changed uh that has not been happening quite as much uh after in 2023 but but once that started to um occur and starting to understand that marketplace um that kind of allowed me to get to the next level and i think that there are are similar there's similar types of activities that other freelancers could probably figure out. Before we drop, I want to dive into real quick. You've been consulting for agencies. Yes. How did you get that? And what does that kind of work look like? So it's, it's a total, it's a full mix. Um, so my background was in agencies before I went in house to IBM, I worked at, uh, uh, a large agency called Ketchum and I maintained those relationships and they're, great people at all these different agencies. And, um, you know, I've never really stopped. It's funny because some, again, mentioning that there's always this pull sometimes I think about going back to the agency world. It's not something I ever disliked. I always enjoyed it. But once I figured out where my expertise really stood and some of these businesses and industries are really, really complicated, you can position yourself as a specialist. So it can be anything from new business pitching for the agencies coming in almost as a consultant to make sure that they're talking about everything the right way, to helping on media relations, to, you know, just ensuring what they're saying is correct in the room. And, um, you know, being able to maintain those relationships with the agencies has been honestly a business kind of a work stream that I, I thought would eventually go away. And it just has continued. And I, again, I think it's um, as long as you're able to offer something that is hard to come by, which eventually comes from just 
learning an industry inside and out and, and having that expertise, it can be very valuable and very helpful. And if they, if it allows the agencies to win business, and again, look, I'm a freelancer. I can't take on $500,000 budgets or million dollar budgets, but they can, and I don't have the resources that they do. But if I can help them out, it is a mutually beneficial relationship at the end of the day. You know, there are certain things, you know, obviously if I have an agency that comes to me for new business help, I can't go and help out another agency with that piece of new business. But um, there are different structures and ways to go about that. You know, it's, I found it very enjoyable. And also, you know, at the end of the day, I'm an extrovert and, you know, it can get pretty lonely doing freelancing, uh, just being by yourself and having the agency portion um kind of gives me a little bit of that feeling of being a part of something larger even if it's mm. still me at the end of the day which which i just enjoy amazing anything else you want to leave our audience with before we hop off uh no i think again the only thing that i just want to reiterate is i think the hardest part of this entire process it's always it's always hard there's always challenges and it changes every single year there's there's no year that is no month that is the same and there's things that are unexpected that happen constantly um but even so like that's at any job right and i think you know you asked if there's anything i'm going to actually say two things now so i'm going to backtrack for a second but uh the first is if you're thinking about trying it out and you don't have anything that's tying you to the job that you're at, then there's no harm in, in giving it a shot, especially as I think things only become more distributed. Um, if you're talented and good at what you do, people will find you. Don't be anxious about kind of taking that leap. And I, again, I guess now I remember the second one. The second part is at the end of the day, it's still a job. Mm. And I think the amount of people who kind of once you have three years, four years under your belt, it's like, oh, it must be great to have all that freedom and great to just be your own boss. And I sort of, yeah, it's there, there are parts that are great about it. You know, like you don't have somebody saying you have to stay at the office until five o'clock, but you also, you know, I have eight clients, like I have eight bosses. And if they, yeah. and they're all over the world, like I have one in, I have some in Europe, I have a bunch in San Francisco. And so it's like, you know, Maybe you can be gone from your computer from three to five, but you're waking up and you have emails and you're starting at 6 a.m. So it's like, it all kind of comes out at the end of the day. And anyone who's going out to do this and thinks, oh, I'm going to have so much time and so much freedom and all of that. Like, yes, it there is days where it's like that, but it's also to be successful at this, you still have to work at it pretty hard. Yeah. And I'll just on this thread for a second, it's partially that way because of how ambitious you are with wanting to grow the business. Is it fair to say if you, you know, kept it in the low six figures that you could have probably three or four clients at one time and it would be a lot more freedom. Totally. Right? And I, I should, I should, yes, that is a big caveat. I mean, if you wanted to go out with this and if I wanted to slash my client base in half and, you know, make a bit less money and, you know, have, 50% more of my time free, I could do that. But, you know, I I don't think I have the personality to actually do that at the end of the Fair day, enough. honestly. So, but I think yeah. I want people to know that you can go out there, make 250K a year, probably work 25 hours a week, and you can. you can absolutely do that. 
right? Yes. You're choosing yes. not to because of your personality and you're ambitious and that's great and there's no right answer. Right. Um, but it could be, and lots of people do that, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and you 100% can, I think. And then maybe that's that's a good way to end it. I think before even starting this is figure out what you really want it to be. Yeah. And if you want that, then go out and do it. But if you want to, you know, go and take the leap and you want to grow something really big, like that requires a whole other level of commitment. And that's going to be a different thing than going out and being a freelancer and doing it just because you want more freedom and flexibility. And those are two really, really different goals at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah. Aaron, thank you so much for your time and insights and just sharing everything with our audience. Uh, I think people get a huge amount of value from this. So just really appreciate having you on the podcast today. Great. Thank you very much. Really appreciate being here. And uh, it was great talking to you about all of this. Awesome. Same.